Happening now, we'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. You're listening and perhaps watching the EdTech Situation Room for May the 17th, 2017. Good evening. My name is Wes Fryer, and I am happy to be joining you from Oklahoma City, where tonight we do not have severe weather. We had a wild night last night in western Oklahoma with tornadoes that I don't know what they were rated, but they were like, you know, 70 mile an hour winds and lots of lots of excitement. And I think we have another round coming tomorrow evening and it's May in Oklahoma. So, but I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School and am excited as always to virtually be at the feet of the Yoda of EdTech, Jason Neifert <laughs> in Missoula, Montana. How are you, Jason? Good evening, Wes. Um, I'm well, thank you. And I guess since we do like to talk about the weather in our neck of the woods, it snowed in, in Missoula, Montana this morning. So we woke up to some uh, initially pretty slushy snow, and by 10 a.m. this morning, the ground was covered at the University of Montana. So I am joining you tonight from Missoula, Montana, which apparently has interesting and diverse weather, where I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school that's housed on the University of Montana campus. And so um, lots going on in the world of technology. It seems like once we get to um, April, May, June, we start to get a lot of announcements. And Wes, if you don't mind, I'd like to start us off this week. What I think the big headline is, which is that Google I.O. Developers Conference is going on in California this week. And there was a couple of keynote addresses today where Google announced uh, a number of new and interesting initiatives. Now, I did watch most of the keynote address this morning, which uh, involved uh, project leads and Sundar Pichai, the uh, leader of Google. Um, but I thought maybe we could talk about some of the big, uh, big changes today and, and talk about if it has any real impact in ed tech. So uh, let's start with first that uh, uh, Google has been re-looking at um, kind of reprioritizing what they're developing around. And one of the things that Sudhar Bashar said today that Google will be looking at all of their products as a, um, uh, a means of delivering more artificial intelligence to the end user. And in fact, they're reprioritizing artificial intelligence as a core part of the development philosophy and uh, interweave throughout uh, the many product announcements today. And there were, a number of product announcements today that um, uh, there is a, 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 a big data, um, artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence uh, a, a theme to them that seems to uh, kind of uh, shift maybe um, between uh, what Google had been doing and what Google will be doing in the future. So as an example of this, uh, Google search um, uh, will be taking on a new uh, logarithm that puts in some machine learning um, as part of its uh, intelligence, which it's interesting to me because I would think that the logarithm that has driven Google search for the past you know, 17 years is uh, you know, somewhat of a machine learning um, uh, 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 product. Um, other examples is that uh, Google a Street View will automatically recognize signs uh, now so that uh, they'll be taking data from the, the large number of what I'm assuming are high-resolution photos taken by the Google Street View cars in order to uh, you know attempt to draw better maps and give better directions. And they also announced um, uh, uh, machine learning to drive how the phones interact with one another. For example, in video calling, they would start adding machine learning logarithms to um, the results of things like video calls in order to better tune them in real time um, for low bandwidth or low hardware requirements. So before we get into other specifics of the Google announcement today, first, Wes, um, were you hanging on your screen today at Google I.O.? No, I wasn't. I knew that this was coming, um, but honest, and, and I've been re reading the rumor sites as we do, uh, but I was not. So I am, I am thankful that you were. And, uh, Ben Wilkoff is in the chat room. I just got our live chat open and want to encourage, uh, anybody who may be tuning in live now or in the future, uh, definitely check out our live chat and, uh, Ben is, is also an avid Googler. So I was not. I will admit that, you know, for, for many Apple events, I, 
I stand with bated breath and, you know, sometimes watch live. But Ben says he did. Um, ben, if you want to join, uh, let us know. We'll be glad to have you jo- have you jump in. The, the conversation would certainly be perhaps a little bit more informed on uh, on the other side of the aisle, as it were. Because um, I, 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 I can certainly comment on things, but I'm not not well, in the know start. about all the latest. So. Let's start with a couple of different interesting ones. First and foremost, um, the I have not made this transition, but it was very clear to me today that Google is um, you know, really wants to replace the notion of uh, you know Google Now, which is what we were calling a lot of the the kind of smart intelligent services. They really want to rebrand that entirely as the Google Assistant, and so it's going to be hard for me. And and, and as I mentioned in the past, I, I have done some academic research in so-called intelligent personal assistants. So it's a topic that that I have some background with from a research standpoint, but. The bottom line is, is that it's going to take me a while to get rid of this notion of Google Now and think of it as the Google Assistant. And the Google Assistant is uh, available on, on all new-ish Android phones. Like, for example, this is my one, one-year-old, um, uh, uh, I forgot the fancy of the phone, Moto G4 Play Edition, which is the, the phone that I carry around now. It's one of the cheaper Amazon phones that you can purchase. Um, I like it. It's a, it's a great uh, platform and great product, but the Google Assistant is available on here. And of course, as I've demonstrated in the past, I have the Google Home device, which is sitting in um, my kitchen. Now, there's been inter- interesting updates related to that we can talk about in a moment, but Google Assistant is really what all this is under now. So as an example of, of, of this, they announced a new lens feature in the Assistant service that will tell you basically what like what you're looking at, right? So you can open up a camera in the Google Assistant, you can point it, take a photo, and it will analyze that photo using its machine learning algorithms to tell you more about that. And the examples they used today were, you know, I wanna know more about this restaurant. So you take a picture of this restaurant, it recognizes, I'm sure, because of the extraordinary database of Google Street View uh, photographs that they have, and will tell you more about that. And um, I think that's a really interesting thing. It's not new. You may remember that Amazon, when they first introduced their Amazon phone and the Amazon app today, you can take pictures of products with the Amazon app or the UPC code on a product and get to that on the Amazon store. So it's not that uh, highly unusual, but it's an interesting phenomenon that they're going to be introducing machine learning um, in that way. Does that tickle your fancy at all, Mr. Fryer? Oh my gosh, it does. And you know, this, we saw Sunshar Pachai, the, the CEO of Google, um, you know, reveal these cards. I think it was, was it last year at the IO event? It, it, because they talked about artificial intelligence really being the centerpiece of their strategy. So I don't think this line of announcements is at all surprising. Um, I do want to talk about an article from from the Microsoft event that touches touches on this as far as AI and surveillance cameras and and the future that we're glimpsing, um, which will which we can talk about a little bit later. So, you know, it I almost want a, a, a what an Alexa dot uh, the the small one. I was at a luncheon today and they were giving it away for a drawing and I was kind of wishing, you know, that I would win it, but I was telling. Um, my, uh, our assistant tech director who I was with that, yes, that would mean every conversation at our house would be recorded and Amazon would have that. So, you know, mixed, mixed feelings. But I, I think that Google, we, we, we really need companies not to be evil with all this, I guess is one of my thoughts <laughs> because the power and potential of all of these things to be used in all kinds of different ways is, is just, uh, is stunning. And the, the, the pace of this and how quickly this is happening. Um, is just going to continue to cause all of us to reel because none of us are going to have right. enough processing time. Um, a second uh, major category announcements was the amazing numbers that Google uh, released based on its its uh, user numbers. Um, there are now more than 2 billion active Android devices around the world. There are 500 million active Google Photos users. Um, there's 1.2 billion videos and photos uploaded to Google Photos every day. Um, and Google Drive has 800 million users and YouTube uh, watchers watch a billion hours of YouTube uh, video every single day. And I found those numbers to be extremely striking, particularly the 2 billion, uh, uh, the 2 billion Android phones, because that 
makes it you know easily uh, the widest adopted platform on earth. So very interesting. When you think about that quantity of content, a statistic from our uh, presentation today, which was um, it was about data, database tools and things that, that increase visibility for managing databases. But the, the statistic they shared was that 92% of the information that humanity has has been created in the last two years, which uh, I hadn't heard that before. You've heard, you hear these things bantered around about how many minutes of YouTube, you know, is uploaded every, um, every minute. And one of the biggest things about this in terms of the quantity and, and the size is video and I think I shared a statistic I tweeted uh, last week about you know the number of surveillance cameras and how that su- su- uh, what what that is predicted to balloon to you know just this unbelievably crazy number I'll I'll pull it up here um, in the next you know three years or whatever video content is absolutely exploding and the only way that we're going to be able to process that is through machine learning is through artificial intelligence and these algorithms no one has time to watch I mean on you on YouTube. You know, YouTube surveillance video, there, it's just, it is, it's staggering. I don't think our schools are positioned and poised to be recognizing this and embracing this, right? Video has become every bit as important as the printed word, if not more important. I don't know. We could probably have a debate about that, but we've got to, we've got to process it with machine learning and with, with AI. There's just no other way to get around. To get around it. So Ben is asking what what version of Android are all those phones running? Uh, that's a great question because unlike Apple, which has seen you know pretty amazing adoption rates when a new version of either the iOS mobile operating system comes out or the um, the desktop version, it, it's pretty quick on the uptake. Um, Android is much more fractured, and that certainly poses challenges for developers as well as for cybersecurity. Um, so what, which of these announcements excited you the most, Jason, just from, from everything that you heard today? Well, I think, um, uh, I, I'm very excited about the intelligent personal assistants taking on more functionality. They did a really amazing demo today saying that more, uh, more services and apps will be plugged into that infrastructure. And they showed off an example where someone using a voice conversation with, with the verbal assistant was able to order lunch for delivery and then pay for it using Android Pay that uh, accepted their thumbprint as the signature. The whole thing took 30 seconds and didn't involve any typing at all. And I think that notion of, of having a connection with your device is, is, is pretty important and pretty impressive. Um, I was also extremely interested in, in two other uh, announcements. One of them was they would be offering a um, an API that allows uh, developers, Android app developers, to access some of the machine learning assets that they have available at Google. They've open sourced some of these tools for the purposes of allowing developers to access those things, and I think that could be super cool. Uh, the other thing they announced, uh, uh, the next version of Android is called Android O, and at some point they will assign a dessert name um, to uh, to that. But right now, since they've decided, or they haven't decided yet uh, to announce which dessert it will be, it could be Android Oreo, it could be Android Orange Slice, it could be Android um, 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 Orange Soda, I guess, to use the orange theme again. But Android O will also be going with a, a new um, side project that's called Android Go that's intended for very low-end Android devices. And by low-end, they mean ones with single or dual-core processors, ones with a gig of RAM or under. And the idea is, is they want to encourage developers uh, uh, to develop applications that keep in mind users that may have low-end hardware or, or small amounts of bandwidth. And in fact, think developing world, think India, China, vast vast swaths of the planet. Right. Well, and it's funny because um, I've downloaded a couple of the light apps developed by Google and one by Facebook that are intended for users in um, uh, 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 new markets that may be getting vastly underpowered devices. And to be honest, in some cases, I prefer those to their their more full featured apps. The Facebook one is a wonderful example of that, that. the Facebook Lite app, which you actually have to sideload into your Android phone, which means you have to hack it a little bit to turn on developer options mm-hmm. to install it, but it's faster and it works much much more nicely on 
you know, I don't have a low-end phone by any stretch of the imagination, but it's better with the low-end app. And, and YouTube Go, which is their other uh, low-end app they've previously made available for, for low-end phones, um, I, the interface is not as nice as the YouTube one, but it does allow you to queue up and download videos to your phone um, that, you know, you can then utilize that service to keep something offline um, uh, to utilize when maybe you don't have bandwidth. So I think those two announcements together probably mean the most to me as an end user. Well, I have been uh, dropping some links into our chat, and we want to let everyone know that you can access all of the links for our show, as well as things that we will likely not have time to talk about at edtechsr.com slash links, where there's a Google document. And there's a lot of connections and linkages here to announcements that Google is making and and AI with cybersecurity, with hacking, with with a whole host of different issues that touch us at a personal level as well as an enterprise level when we think about our schools and our organizations. And so while it is exciting to think about AI and and right, we have personal decisions to make about this, right? Like Jason has the Google Assistant at his house. Um, I have Siri, you know, here on my phone, but we are not yet we haven't yet jumped into either the Alexa or the Google Home world. And and even as you describe these things, Jason, you know, I'm thinking about how my level of excitement is is obviously lessened by the fact that, you know, I've got my iPhone here and I've I've dabbled with the thought of whether to, to try the Pixel and to, you know, jump into Android. But we're very invested in the the Apple ecosystem. And so, you know, while we're Chromebook users at school and my wife has a Chromebook and anyway, just, you know, love Google and, and I'm invested in there. It's, it's interesting how, um, you know, and I didn't watch the Microsoft event either. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight as well. So these are exciting announcements, but it, that's, I guess that's a connection to the classroom and the school in, in terms of where we're invested, uh, where we've sort of put our eggs. But I think that we, we, we do want to be open to all of these possibilities and carefully consider, um, you know, when there might be uh, an opportunity, a time to change. And, you know, if we need to reconsider where we have invested ourselves, whether that's on a personal level at, at home and, and in our family, or if it's something that we're, you know, doing at school. So I want to talk a little bit about the micro. I think we could probably talk the whole time about Google IO. And I think Ben may jump into our chat here a little bit. And so we might circle back to some of this. But there have also been there was also a pretty big Microsoft event, and um, the article I want to point to is from um, Popular Mechanics actually on May the 10th, and it's called "Here's a Chilling Glimpse of the Privacy-Free Future," and then the subtitle is "The Computers Are Watching." And uh, I'll read the first the first paragraph. Imagine if you lost your keys and instead of fishing around in couch cushions, you could just pull out your phone and search for them. Just a quick textual query with a quick response there on your desk, you doofus. This is not only possible, it's possible now. And it's almost as intriguing as it is terrifying. And so this was on May 10th at the Microsoft Build Conference for developers, similar to what Apple does with WWDC that we'll be seeing again in June. And they've got a video, which I'll include also in the in the show notes or the the links for for the show, as well as all embedded in the in the post. And it's called Build 2017 Workplace Safety Demonstration. And so, with artificial intelligence and the ability to um, identify, okay, this face is Wes. You know, Wes is certified to use the drill press. He's not allowed to, you know, use this other piece of equipment or whatever. You know, video is going to be able to determine literally down to the second, if you've got coverage over your work area, you know, everything that your people have done, if somebody who's not authorized to use a particular piece of equipment has used it or not, in a hospital circumstance, it may be able to do amazing things as far as monitoring, you know, patient vitals and other kinds of statistics, being able to tell who's coming and going, but one of the points of the article is, and this is a refrain that you have heard over and over if you've been a, a listener to our show, that the ethics of this is very important and that we don't want people and companies to be developing these things in a vacuum, pretending like values don't matter, privacy isn't important, and regulation isn't important. Because one of the things that they talk about is how we can, things are so quick and are moving so quick and 
and of course, government and, and regulation always lags behind. And sometimes that's that's good. I'm not saying regulation, it'll all save us. But I definitely will say that there are important places for regulation uh, in the in the marketplace. And in the case of AI and surveillance and where we're all going with this, I think it's really fascinating because just like with, uh, I might mention a CRISPR article a little bit later, in the world of genomics, in the world of, um, you know, take of biotechnologies, we are seeing exciting advances that, for instance, are going to continue to open doors for folks who are disabled. You know, liter- I mean, at some point we're going to be able to replicate the human eye, I think, and, 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 and do things visually. That, that's one of the things that we haven't done yet because of all those neural connections to the brain. But with prosthetic hands, with the ability to, you know, control things neurologically, move cursors, there's tremendously wonderful things that are going on. But there's also, you know, a tremendous potential for these tools to be utilized in fairly negative ways. So those are are some thoughts. Uh, Welcome, Ben Wilkoff, joining us from lovely Colorado. Did you get snow this week as well or or this week, like yesterday again, like they did in in Montana? Are you guys? uh, We are waiting for snow tomorrow. So we will be having our snow. uh, And actually, it sounds like it's started to rain slash hail at this particular moment in time. So all kinds of good stuff. You know, the, the late May snow is an interesting one for sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, I know you've been uh, putting, putting kids to bed and other things, but you, uh, uh, let me, let me throw it to Jason first to kind of respond to this, this Microsoft article. And then let, let's hear some of your thoughts about the IO event, uh, Ben, um, any thoughts about the privacy free future that uh, we're rapidly moving into Jason? Yeah, I, you know, I, I just took a look at, I, I had read another article on some of the things they had announced, but I, this is the first time I've seen that video, that video, and that video is extraordinary. Uh, I would encourage listeners to go to adecasar.com, grab the link to this and watch it, because it's, it's pretty important, I think, of what we're talking about, but essentially the video shows, um, you know, uh, a surveillance video in a workplace, which is not an uncommon phenomenon, um, but it's being analyzed in real time by uh, apparently a series of computers that identifies people um, by name, it identifies threats by name, it identifies uh, issues with, with uh, in some cases, workplace safety issues. But this is kind of what we're talking about, that, that really some of the uh, real practicalities of, of, of the, the technologies that we're talking about, that in a world that has machine learning and artificial intelligence and massive databases of information and sensors, and sensors can be anything from a temperature sensor to a video camera to a motion detector, these things are going to get ag- aggregated together at some point and identify. It's just an inevitable part of the nature of this technology. And so, yeah, we do want to be conscious of this very much so. And, um, you know, in the same way that uh, you know, things that, that seem like they're innocuous or even beneficial could have downsides to them. Um, I think last week that, that uh, I was going to drop this in and I forgot or maybe it didn't happen until recently. No, it hasn't happened until Monday. But um, the Apple Watch has been announced as an article from The Verge. The Apple Watch, Apple Watch detects heart irregularity with 97% accuracy, which is part of, I think, the secret promise of, uh, the Apple Watch that has not really been talked about because it's been a uh, what I think would be easily described as a mixed success, um, although I see way more Apple Watches than I do Android Watches out in the wild. But the bottom line is, is that the Apple Watch seems to have even further application than the immediate connection to your phone and the health kit and, and, and health apps on the, the iPhone could be a real uh, a practical manifestation of this data collection aggregation that we're talking about. And I'll just say right now, in addition to making a personal choice about whether you want to put a home assistant in your house that very well may be recording everything that's happening. And I didn't put a tinfoil hat on. We joked about that last week, and I, I actually forgot that. Um, you know, there's a court case right now where that's being being tested as far as whether or not they can subpoena the Alexa. It was present when a murder happened to find out if there's more information. We each need to make careful decisions about the information which we are going to disclose regarding our DNA and regarding our, our health care. Um, probably we don't have a lot of choice when we go to the, the hospital, whatever system they're using, they're using, and your information is going to be in there. Um, but there, there are things that you can send off, right, to, to have your DNA tested and to have that, have that sent back and tell you, you know, perhaps some really amazing things. I'm not saying don't, don't ever do that. 
but think very carefully about it because if there's anything that we should have learned as a public from the last few months of cybersecurity intrusions and ransomware and elections that have been hacked and all of these different things, it's that security is illusory at best. If someone wants to get that information, if somebody wants to come into your house, whether that's your physical house or your virtual house, and they have the means which exist, they can do it. And so I think that, you know, I'm thinking a little bit more on the personal lines here when it comes to the biological stuff. Um, we've all got decisions to make. A, a, a coworker today showed me his Ecobee thermostat and how he had some other sensors that were really small around his house. And on his app, he was able to, you know, see the temperatures and, and adjust it. And his wife called him the other day and he adjusted the temperature from work and it was very cool. Um, and I don't know that, you know, thermostats are nephorous, but, you know, certainly when you think about baby cams, when you think about surveillance systems um, and the opportunities, with, and especially if they're inside your house, uh, we got to think carefully because, um, you know, this isn't the cybersecurity show. This is the ed tech situation room where we're going to link these things to, you know, educational technology in schools. Uh, but we are going to continue to talk about personal connections as well. So just uh, the wary card. By the way, um, to just distract us here with, with whether it was over 80 here, and Peggy George says it reached 90 in, in Phoenix, which was just a little bit below normal. So there we go with our, our diversity here. Ben, what do you think about Google I.O.? And are Jason and I just throwing a wet blanket on what should be a celebratory Kool-Aid celebration? You know, let's let's drink up. Um, no, I mean, I, I, essentially they said the uh, the era of mobile is over and the era of uh, artificial intelligence has started. And I don't know that I'm ready for the era of artificial intelligence to have started. And clearly that is the Kool-Aid that they want people to drink, right? Um, the two things that I found most compelling, one was assistant on iOS. And essentially I started reflecting on, all right, so if all of our kids on iPads, on Chromebooks, on whatever device they have can literally speak to the ether and be able to ask a series of intelligent questions. So I started playing around with the contextual stuff, right? Like I asked, uh, how far is it from San Francisco to New York? And then I said, how long would it take me to go on an airplane? How about a train, right? Like each one of those questions is more and more obscure in terms of like, if you don't know what I just was talking about, there's no way you're going to be able to answer that next question. And so I started thinking about, all right, so if that is something that's possible in classrooms and essentially the assistant is going to be everywhere, what kinds of questions do we need to ask that are different than those, right? And, you know, like if, if they can get that from an assistant, a digital assistant, you know, how is it that our questions can be different? So in that way, I think that there's an interesting component. Um, but the other thing that I found really compelling was the photo stuff. They are just so good at the machine learning with photos yeah. and video. It just is incredible to me. The idea of um, the persistent sharing options inside of Google Photos with family members like, I absolutely want to use that idea. If I take photos of my kids, I want my wife to have access to those instantly. I don't want to have to think about sharing them with her. I want her to have those uh, instant access. And you can, it's not too hard to extrapolate down the line where essentially our sharing networks are, can mimic our real life networks. And it can be easier for us and less, you know, there should be less friction for sharing things that we are thinking about. But I also know that the intentionality of sharing is part of the feature. Like it's not always a bug to have it be, you know, a complicated thing to share it because then, you know, it was intentional. Like I shared a birthday message uh, on uh, like writing out a note, a birthday message is so much 
more valuable than the almost automatic Facebook birthday message that happens. And so anyway, I think there is a lot of interesting things that are happening, but they are really hitting hard artificial intelligence. And much like chatbots about a year and a half ago, um, I'm not sure that everyone is ready for artificial intelligence in everything all of the time. Um, Where does this put you as a Flickr user, Ben, and a Flickr lover? A Flickr user. Uh, Google Photos has been the default photo sharing tool for the last uh, two years for me. There is there is no Flickr use uh, other than as an archive. Interesting. <laughs> and that speaks to this flexibility issue, right? We all become invested in different platforms and different tools. We have baby duck syndrome, which you can Google on Wikipedia, which means, you know, we are impressed like a baby duck to the mama that, hey, I've got to use a smart board. I can't use a Promethean or I've got to use such and such. We need to, though, be open to the possibility of switching and changing not just because it was announced at IO and it's the latest and shiny, you know, that kind of thing about early adopter innovator that may be fine on a personal level, but on a school level, I think we've got to be a little bit more careful, but let's not become so entrenched. We're a Microsoft shop and we will only do Microsoft and we just run Novell and we'll never change. Have you ever known someone like that? I could say some names. I won't, but you know, there's some school districts not very far away who I think just finally have let go of Novell. So, you know, that was probably about 10 or 20 years too late. And it's a good thing to, you know, to see the pulse of what's happening. And especially when things are transformatively more powerful, as it sounds like Google photos is, you know, this is challenging me to think about my own personal photo flow. And, and on a school note, (laughs) We had a good session about intellectual property and who owns stuff and the idea that perhaps you might want to be having an agreement with teachers that if they're going to be archiving photos, they do that within a system that the school has access and control to. And we haven't gone there yet with, with uh, school, but I'm, but I'm, I'm very glad to see Google photos continuing to advance. And I'm trying to, to think about what image is going through my mind when you say, you know, the age, Oh, it's a, it's of course, Lord of the Rings when, you know, is it an orc or who says the age of man is over? The age of the orc has begun. You know, that's that's what I'm thinking here about AI. Maybe that's a little dystopian, but <laughs> so Ben, let me ask you one quick thing related to the uh, announcement that Google Assistant is going to be on iOS. So I I think it's interesting to watch Google and 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 Apple kind of slug it out. Um, in regards to the functionality of their phones. Would would Google Assistant on iOS replace Siri for you then? Um, so I use Siri, uh, at least at the moment, mostly for transactional kinds of things. So uh, I need directions to a place. I need you to take a note. I need you to uh, remind me to do something. I need you to set a timer, right? So in those instances, no. However, what it will replace is I use the Google app very often on my phone in order to find information. And so if I can speak or what they also updated was the ability to use the assistant just by typing in a a request, I would much rather use natural language to make a query than to try and come up with the right Google keywords to get to the information that I need. And so I, I am going to replace at least temporarily the Google app and to a certain extent the Chrome app with just using the extension on my phone uh, or the, uh, the assistant, right? And so for me, that's, that's what it's going to replace. Um, but my guess is in two weeks when we see WWDC, there's going to be a Siri kit thing. It's going to be, you know, like, and these are all the updates, right? Um, and so you're never going to have as much integration with the assistant inside of a, an iOS device. But at the same time, like Apple will never hold a candle to search the way that Google does. Like they just, that's not what they're trying for. It's never going to be that thing. And so. You know, if I can search more intelligently, that's what I'm going to do. 
And let's throw out an article related from Apple Insider, May 13th, 2017. When Apple is two years behind you, put your things in order. And what the author is saying here is talking about WWDC, which is coming up in June. Um, pretty good rumors as those go on the rumor sites that Apple is going to be coming out with a smart assistant for the home, which is going to uh, be a speaker and is going to you know look a lot like the Google Assistant and Alexa. Here's the most interesting thing, which you know we've we've seen we've seen Apple not jump first into things, but when it Uh-oh. We done lost Wes. Well, hey, I'll jump in then. Um, Do the it, article, man. The article from Apple Insider talks about the notion that um, when, and whenever you've, you're starting to, to panic about Apple falling behind, that's probably a sign they're about ready to jump ahead of everyone uh, with a lot of, of, of savvy and, and, and unexpected uh, zeal that, that you think they may have lost. And, of course, you know, it, it's very popular now to hand ring about Apple. We do it a fair bit on the show as well. Um, I have largely moved away from Apple devices now, not because, um, you know, I, I don't like Apple stuff. In fact, I believe that all tech is awesome and is usable and is great. But the bottom line is, is that you know, they have been what I perceive to be somewhat stagnant. But what the article claims is that, you know, when everyone is it believes they're now behind, they've got a technological lag, but they're, they're probably ready to release the next big thing. And so I wonder if Westward was going to the notion that the next, next big thing in this context was something in the artificial intelligence um, um, or augmented intelligence uh, 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 element. And it's hard to know and hard to say. But it does seem like that, that Apple is, is cautiously waiting until it's ready with something. The question is, what is that something? So any thoughts about that, Ben, on what the next big thing might be? <laughs> yeah, because I, I have the crystal ball for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of Apple podcasts. I listen to a lot of, I mean, tech podcasts in general, yeah. right? But I listen to a lot of, uh, of commentary and essentially, I think it comes down to what is the core service that each one of these companies have. And Apple is always going to be device first, services second. Google is always going to be services first, device second. And I feel like there is a sort of coming together of those two things where, and and to a certain extent, uh, Microsoft is going to be enterprise first, services second device third uh, um but but anyway like if if i'm crystal balling what what apple's going to do i think that they are going to continue to ride the privacy train as far as it will take them and they're going to try and do as much of this stuff on device as possible cuz their devices are are really slick and they can do the deep integration uh, if and when we get to the geek of the week, I'm going to share something that I, I was able to sort of problem solve as a, a problem of practice with some of my coaches, uh, this week. And it was like, this only works because of the deep integration, uh, within a system. And so right. if they continue to leverage that, I think there will always be, um, you know, there will always be an opportunity there for, for deep software services and device integration. And it's just like trying to find that right ratio between those three. Like I'm, I'm really wary of this strange marriage of the screen and the, um, the assistant. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys talk last week about the, I can't even remember the, the Android. uh, Yeah. We talked about the, the Amazon, um, the Amazon new, the, the, the Amazon, uh, the Amazon news with the, the look and the show. And it's just like, they're like trying to jumble all of these things together in as many different combinations as they can. And it's like, what is going to work for people? You know, I'm so glad that you guys were here to talk with. <laughs> I jumped out and restarted my router. I think I may have to go get a Google uh, mesh router, Jason. Um, what I was going to talk about continuity, and it sounds like you were touching on it, you know, is that Apple's uh, mastery of the device and the interface, think about being able to say to your assistant, you know, sh- uh, show me this recipe. Um, I want to see it on my Apple TV. I want to see that on my phone. 
I want to see that on my laptop, you know, and that's where a continuity thing could come in because, because the screen, oh, and here's a, here's a, a actual news connection to that. Phil Schiller gave an interview just in the last week where he was asked about assistance and he specifically talked about screens and the importance of screens. So some of the, the rumor sites and pundits are thinking that this was a, a bit of a showing your cards for WWDC and what Apple may be bringing to the table with an assistant is going to be something that leverages the other screens that they already have very much in play on, you know, in, in millions of hands. Okay, well, where shall we go next? Let me respond to, to Peggy's question. She said, Wes, why would you only want your teachers to be able to post photos on a school system? So this came from a great session at the Atlas Conference that Vinnie Vrotny uh, presented, and I can actually put the, the links to the Google Doc of Notes from that session. Uh, and his was about intellectual property, teachers pay teachers, all the things around rights, uh, when you think about stuff that teachers are creating and whether the school would continue to have rights to those. And, and I am not saying we're doing this and that I'm pushing this because I think, um, well, it, there's, a, there's a whole lot of facets to this. But it's something to think about that, let's say, teachers posted on, uh, on, on some website that, you know, you have no control over and there there's an issue down the road with a parent or with law enforcement or with somebody. Uh, let's, let's put the whole legal liability thing in there. There's a lawsuit, you know, involved in that. Um, and your, your school has no way to directly take those down or have control over that. Um, that is something to think about. And I think that we'll probably see some schools address that. So that's an answer to Peggy there. Um, am, am I still good? Can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, about the, the the cyber attacks that we've seen and, and the cyber weapons and, and those kinds of things. Uh, Forbes had an article on, on May 12, 2017, an NSA cyber weapon might be behind a massive global ransomware outbreak. And, and certainly, you know, it's just like, just like saying the weather is interesting in Missoula or Phoenix or Colorado or Oklahoma, you know, there was another cyber attack. They're, they're happening all the time. But what's happened with this latest ransomware attack, which I guess kind of started in hospitals in Europe and has spread, you know, beyond, uh, they are pointing to these leaked cyber weapons that the National Security, Security Agency um, developed and then were released to the public, I think, through um, uh, I don't know if it was through WikiLeaks or who it was, but um, the back back to Microsoft and and their event. The president of Microsoft, whose name I have not said enough times to have it roll off my tongue, has a really interesting letter, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, where he is calling for governments to have a Geneva Conventions and to have some agreements similar to what we have with nuclear weapons, limiting the ability or uh, trying to get at the at the policies and willingness of governments to hoard these things because the situation one one aspect of the situation here is when governments like the United States or anybody else identifies exploits that can be utilized to compromise systems and to install backdoors and to do things whether that's like the Stuxnet virus and if you haven't read about Stuxnet and how Probably Israel and the United States uh, did a major disruption to the Iranian nuclear program by making uh, uranium centrifuges essentially overheat and blow up. You know, instead of dropping bombs there, they, they used a cyber weapon to do this. As governments have these tools and they don't tell tech companies about them in order to patch them, then it potentially puts all of us at risk. And so the president of Microsoft is saying, you know, we need to not have we, we, we need to have more disclosure so that we can patch things. Uh, and the other thing that I'll say on that whole situation is. And I don't know that we mentioned this last week. Did we talk about the Windows XP patch last week or has that happened since then? I don't That's think we've happened since then. Yeah. So Microsoft actually released in March a patch to Windows XP, which was supposed to not be supported and have anything else, you know, um, 
coming out in, in the way of updates and security patches uh, because they needed to address this. And so that vulnerability, which was part of this uh, NSA cyber weapon that got leaked, um, was was part of this massive um, outbreak that we had. So there's lots of aspects to this. And I think maybe one of them also continues to be, what are you running at school? You know, are you relying on tons of local Windows servers? I think maybe um, eight years ago, we had like 16 Windows servers, and now we're at like four, you know, with some virtualized servers. But cloud services, looking at Google as as, as, as our primary email, as well as, as data, other third-party cloud-hosted stuff, it, it definitely is, it makes makes me feel a little more comfortable as a tech director that we're not having all of our stuff right within our network. Um, but there's a, there's a whole lot of aspects to these. So thoughts, Jason? Well, yeah, I, I think that, that what you're starting to see come to fruition is that there, there's, there has always been a lot of holes in all the tech tools that we use, but there's just more folks that are trying to exploit them now. And so, you know, caution is, is, is absolutely required here. Um, and I posted another article um, that's from uh, Lifehacker today, basically saying that it's time to change your passwords because now people are putting together large databases of, of leaked credentials, 500 million of them at all, with, you know, uh, email addresses, usernames, and passwords. And chances are, and I put the obligatory link to haveibeenpwned.com, which goes through the many release databases of, of hacked uh, uh, accounts to find out if your email address is among them. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, this, this is going to become more and more common. I think the terrifying part, though, is that um, I think schools will respond appropriately. Um, the, the discussions I've been either privy to or uh, at the peripheral of, uh, I've, I've felt that people were taking good, smart, proactive steps. I do worry about the average consumer, however, who I don't think is taking as proactive of steps. And uh, there was a pretty funny uh, mock ad um, on Saturday Night Live on, on Saturday night about uh, uh, older folks using the Amazon Alexa. And it was pretty, pretty darn funny. But uh, it also, I think, highlighted that, you know, I, I, this is not a, an old person, young person thing. It's any consumer that's not paying close attention to this. If you don't understand the device that you're using, the higher chance it is that, that you could be victim of something as more and more tools are available for doing precisely that. And if you're using a seven-year-old smartphone um, on, on the modern Internet that probably has uh, dozens of holes in it that, that could be exploited. And, you know, we're, we're living in dangerous times in that regard. We need devices that patch themselves. We mentioned last week as far as these different routers and the ways that they're able to do that. Um, I just dropped the link, Ars Technica, May 15th, 2017, two days after the W cry war, Microsoft decries exploit stockpiling by governments. Um, you know, we, I'm thrilled that basically our Chrome devices all update themselves, right? In the admin console for Google, we have it selected so that it will randomize. It won't just hit our network like Microsoft patches would do at one time. And I, I think Microsoft's probably gotten better about that, you know, so that every Microsoft device on your network doesn't try to download the, the patch Tuesday or whatever at the same time. But that is a beautiful thing, right? I mean, it is going to take a huge sea change to convince me that we do not need to heavily invest in Chrome devices and, and being able to manage things through the, through the Google Chrome console and cybersecurity and updates have a ton to do about that. So Ben, what are your thoughts? Um, so I have looked at uh, a number of the exploits uh, sort of throughout this uh, process and actually my understanding of it is that a huge number of them are due to pirated uh, copies of Windows, right? So no patch that is created is going to, uh, and I shouldn't say no patch, but most patches are not going to work on pirated copies because pirated copies never get updated because they never want to ping a Windows server or a Microsoft server. Like, so essentially it is just an, you're just advocating for um, the, the always, you know, always on updates and things like that, which have existed on most systems for years. So to, to my mind, it's probably not a, you know, Chrome versus Windows versus Mac OS, right? Like Mac's, were not exploited. iOS devices were not exploited. Um, you know, there was a pretty large Android hack that happened fairly recently. 
um, or, or an exploit that was uh, in existence uh, within the system. But it's like, all right, this means that you just have to stay up to date or you have to not connect to the Internet. Like you, you have one of those two options, right? Like either you wall off your systems, which, you know, in North Korea totally works. Like they're not getting hacked because they're not on the Internet. But uh, if you want to be on the Internet, you have to have updated systems. And um, I think that that is uh, it's a strange thing because it essentially forces you into upgrading soft or upgrading hardware more often than you might like to um, might force you to because, right, like even those Chrome devices, after three years, they go off support. You know, like that, really? that is a very real possibility. I don't, I don't think I knew that. Well, yeah, so, it's, yeah. the end of life stuff is really interesting. I thought that was just when you threw the device out that you couldn't renew that license, you had to buy it again. Really? It's a three-year deal? So it depends on which device you are looking at, but if you if you look at some of the devices that you purchased three years ago, they are already off support in a technical sense. I don't think that there have been any specific instances where large-scale deployments have gone off support all at once. Um, we just got the assurance that our oldest devices are going to be renewed out one more year into 2018, but that's going to happen. And so when that happens, you are either forced to take them offline, which for Chrome devices is like somewhat useless, <laughs> or you are forced to renew your hardware. And yeah. so, and you just have to look at what your, what your refresh yeah, process right. is. You and just cycle have to decide and what is that, the better trade off and build that into your budget. Um, I want to mention, no, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, some, there's a message here that largely for, for, for folks that are looking to adopt Chrome devices. You really should not be engaging in a race-to-the-bottom philosophy when buying Chrome devices for precisely that reason. And I just put the link in chat, and now I think about it. I also put it in, the, also put in our, our, our notes, too. But the, the other thing that's interesting about this is that you know, there, is a, there is a list of, of when the, the product will be uh, end-of-life. And, and it's a pretty diverse set of... Um, of dates here, and it seems like that that they list a policy on top of that's the case of, of when that's going to be the case. But I, I don't uh, uh, I don't really understand, or it looks like that it's 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 somewhat different depending on the device manufacturer and maybe the nature of the hardware. But you know the the, the bottom line is is that if someone comes and tells you they can sell you hundred dollar Chrome devices and they are four year old ARM devices, ARM being the alternative processor that is very low power from that standpoint. It's a wonderful platform, but it's slow and, and, and isn't great at multitasking, then you know, you're not getting a great deal out of that. And it's something you should be very cautious of when you're looking at adopting any platform, but particularly um, you know, the Chrome devices. Peggy's asking in chat, is it cost effective to renew your Chromebook license for old Chromebooks after three years? I'm not sure you can. Ben's shaking his head. Yeah. No, I... I you you get to keep your your Chrome management console license for the life of the device, but the life of the device may vary. Yep, exactly. Yep. So plan for a three year refresh if you're buying Chromes. Yep, that's important stuff. Wait, I need to. Um, I want to mention this, and this is related. Uh, this is a bleeping computer article from May the 10th, 2017. Microsoft has effectively banned third-party browsers from the Windows Store. One of the things that we're seeing with respect to devices is the phenomenon of the App Store. And looks like I'm pixelating. Am I okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and basically how app stores are able to push out updates and people can update their devices potentially, you know, much more than they could if they just have to, you know, on their computer, go to a website and download or whatever, you know, clicking update or setting auto update, you know, is a efficient way of keeping more people patched. Well, I guess similar to the way that Safari on the, on the iOS is that I guess it's really WebKit. Even if you run Firefox, it's not truly a whole Firefox browser. And maybe that's true about Chrome. Um, Microsoft has essentially is making in its, in its Windows 10, um, Windows Store, uh, uh, browsers 
it's saying that you're going to have to rebuild and use the same engine as the Microsoft Edge browser in order to have it work. And that would, that this would be pretty huge because this could effectively, you know, break Chrome and break Firefox on Windows devices. And this is ostensibly for security that they're doing this, but, um, it's a, that's a, it's a pretty big deal. So I don't, from, for the, from the open web standpoint and how important, you know, browser standards are and how wonderful I think it's personally been to have Chrome and to have Firefox as alternatives to Microsoft. I mean, remember the day when, you know, we were excited that Internet Explorer was available for Mac and, you know, it's, it, it, we've come a long way with that. So I, I think this is something, something to watch and it's just, I don't know. It's, the, the 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 hostility in the computing environment is hard to understate today and so it is definitely smart for us in school technology uh, offices as well as for us at home to be looking at security and and on a very practical level looking at things that are easy to update right i am the it guy for our family you know and where i'm not going to make everyone be, have a chromebook but it sure as a heck is, you know, a lot easier from an updating standpoint. And I'm, I'm thankful with iOS devices that, that that seems to be pretty easy as well. So I know you guys are, I'm sure, advocates for the open web. So it may be something to pay attention to and see, see where that goes. I think we need to do Geeks of the Week, gentlemen. It is uh, almost the top of the hour. So, Jason, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll just share a quick one. Um, it feels like I'm turning into the guy that talks about tech deals guy, but um, just a shout out to uh, the, um, um, and I've forgotten the name, the Gawker Properties, which I can't remember who they're owned by, but Lifehacker and um, other names. Jezebel is another one of them. They have about 10 blogs that are, <coughs> excuse me, part of their network, and they have a commerce team that is particularly gifted, sniffing out pretty amazing deals, particularly on Amazon. And so Kin, or deals.kinja.com is their deals blog. And um, if you're looking for an SSD drive, if you're looking for charging cables, if you're looking for jeans, if you're looking for um, uh, 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 laptop, cheaper laptops, you know, for the kids, whatnot, uh, that's a great place to go. And, and, and there's rarely anything that I've needed to purchase that I haven't waited a couple of days and they haven't featured a deal somewhere to make that happen. So deals.kinjet.com. All right. Hey, Ben, how about yours? All right. So the problem of practice that I was talking about earlier was essentially how do you translate text on iOS? On Chrome browsers, there's whole bunches of extensions that will do translation fairly automatically. Um, but on iOS, there's lots of copying and pasting and things like that. So I thought about it for a while and came up with a workflow using the app workflow that Apple just bought, but that has been in existence for a number of years. Um, and I made a video just talking through where essentially you can highlight any text in any app in iOS, you hit the share button and choose the workflow. It will translate that text to any language you might like. And then if you want, you can have it speak it to you. So you can have the text to speech as well. So just a, a really nice for our language learners. Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun to, to sort of try and figure out. Um, and then the only other recommendation I was going to make is if you are really interested in privacy and security, if you want, like, I know this is the EdTech Situation Room. If you want that podcast, it's called Tr Contra Fabulous from uh, Audrey Waters and um, the API Evangelist. So Hack Education and API Evangelist, they are pretty far left of the spectrum, um, but they talk about education and APIs and privacy all of the time. And so if that's the podcast you want, Contrafabulous. Awesome. And my Geek of the Week is also a podcast. I mentioned it earlier, but it is the MacCast podcast. And, um, like I said, there's, there's a lot of stuff. If you're a Mac geek, then this is the podcast for you. Um, Adam, who's the host, um, you know, covers all kinds of things as far as Mac trends and rumors. But, um, this latest May 13th episode is the one where he was talking about the, um, 
you know, possibilities of the uh, Apple Assistant device and what that might mean for continuity, et cetera. And then I put a link to Pocket Cast, which I think Jason uses as well, and that's available for Android and iOS and is still my favorite pod catcher. So we are at the top of the hour. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Ooh, look at that. I have a note that says performance reduced. Closing Google Chrome may help your Mac cool down. So we have just been heating up the machine tonight and uh, we are, are usually not quite this this hot, but um, we're usually here on Wednesday nights and we would invite you to join us live. We are typically at... Um, Let's see if I can get this right. Nine, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, or 7 p.m. Pacific. And we want to thank Peggy for joining us, our 12th man, Ben Wilkoff, for jumping in and adding, t- especially to the dialogue about Google I.O., but all things ed tech. And I forgot, I think, the last time I hosted to give everyone a chance. So let's just kind of go around the horn again. Tell us where we can find you and where you are sharing more ideas and links. Jason, we'll go to you and then Ben and I'll close it out. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach. I blog for the Northwest Council for Computer Education at blog.ncc.org. And I am a proud member. My organization is a proud member of the Virtual Learning Leadership Alliance because state virtual schools get things done. I like that statement. Uh, I'm Ben Wolkoff, uh, B-H-W-I-L-K-O-F-F on Twitter. Um, and learning has changed on my blog. All right, and I am Wes Fryer, W. Fryer on Twitter, speedofcreativity.org, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Please let us know. There is a link that has been not used too much, but is in our show notes to a listener survey. You can follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR, and that's where you can find out when we do change times or for some reason uh, just you know have, have a different plan. Uh, but usually we're here on Wednesday nights. We'd love for you to join us live. Check out the links on edtechsr.com slash links. And until next time, stay safe and stay savvy. Good night. Awesome.